0: We've got our friend Dwayne Polk, who's going to come and share with us today. So, if you could help me, please, in welcoming Dwayne, that would be amazing. Good morning, Woodland Hills. Good morning. How y'all feeling? Actually, I'll, I'll say something that my late grandfather used to say: "What you no know good?" <laughs> that is, country Central Texas, right in your face. What you no know good? <laughs> Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I am Dwayne Proke. Um, some of you might know me, I've been on staff here, but um, we're just family. And so um, this is my home. And so I just love whenever God enables me to speak to us because I feel like when I speak, I learn something. I don't know about y'all, but I learned something. <laughs> and, but I do feel like God is building an incredible body here. I feel like God is doing some wonderful, majestic things. And that every time that we get together, it's just more and more of the kingdom being built. So I'm just pleased to be a part of that. So going to pray, and then we're just going to get into the message, okay? Let's pray. Father, we just come to you, first of all, just honoring you. You are holy and wonderful and majestic and lovely. And we just want to continue turning our faces towards you. We've, we've sung songs and, we've, and we've, we've prayed, and now, Lord, it is time for the Word. We pray that you would decrease all of us and let your Spirit rise up in us, that we might hear with the ears of the Spirit, that we might see with the eyes of the Spirit, and we might feel with the heart of the Spirit. Change us, Lord. Mold us. Make us to what you want us to be so that we can affect this city and this nation and this world for your kingdom and none other we thank you and we bless you in Jesus name and when everybody said amen alright alright the title of this message is going to be called who do you think you are or who do you think you are anyway and I have to say it with the head to wobble because it's an attitude that comes with it who do you think you are now um. So the word we're gonna use a lot today is credentials. Credentials, credentials, credentials. Everybody say it with me, credentials. All right. Now, when we talk about credentials, a lot of our society runs on this stuff. And what we're talking about is whenever something is given or earned that allows a person authorized access to certain conversations or resources. So if you, this is when you have your le- legitimizing papers. This shows that you are set up and approved to do what you do. I'll give you an example. Um, if you needed a root canal or if you had a bad cavity, the last thing you would want to do is come to me for your dentistry needs. The most I could do is probably maybe pull out a dentist thing from a tricks box and try to do something and you probably wouldn't like it. The main thing that you would want to do is you'd want to say, you want to make sure that you go to a, a dental person that has the proper credentials that has graduated from dental school that can really provide the things that you need. There's lots of other things that we do with this as well. There's actually, um, in theological discourse there, you know, about Christian apologetics, about the existence of God and all these different things, there's different people that argue, that debate, that they will not debate somebody that doesn't have a PhD or a master's level or higher. Reason being is because they feel like if a person has that kind of degree, then they've at least been in the the certain conversations and they've had certain exposure that would make for a good debate. So there's kind of a desire not to waste time and to make sure that people are doing what they're supposed to do. So there's nothing wrong with checking people's credentials to a certain extent. At the same time, there can be an implicit or explicit attitude that comes with it that goes beyond just looking at your experience or looking at um, your your skills or different things like that. It's more of kind of a personal thing that deals with your self-concept. Who do you think you are? And I don't know, has anybody ever been in a conversation with somebody like, who do you think you are? Now, if you haven't been in that conversation, count yourself lucky, because at least in my experience, it has not been very pleasant. Like, I've never experienced somebody saying, who do you think you are? And just felt, yay, blessed. (laughs) Usually, I'd be a little put off because there would be some elements of judgment there. There'd be some elements of superiority. And there'd be some elements of very challenging myself. Who do you think you are to try to do what you're doing, to try to say what you're saying? Who do you think you are? Now, again, I think about human nature a lot. I figure if we do these things now, surely they did them back in the Bible days. Look into Luke, and guess what I find? (laughs) There is a story with Jesus in it. And there are some people trying to tell him, who do you think you are? And Jesus finds a very particular way of dealing with it. So we're going to go to that story. It's in Luke 20. Now, at this point in Luke's telling of Jesus' life, We've already gone through the triumphal entry. So we're talking about the Hosanna leaves, Hosanna in the highest, and people are praising him as the coming Messiah, or they believe he is. And so at first, the Pharisees were the people that were really locking horns with him. But as he goes to Jerusalem, then you have the priest, the chief priest, and the religious leaders and the elders. And they start seeing all of this ruckus happen because this guy comes in town. So they like, you know, we're going to keep an eye on this guy. So then, later on, he takes upon himself, he purges the temple. So he goes into the temple, you know, and everybody's kind of wheeling and dealing, and he turns over the tables, and he's like, you know, hey, this, God said this will be my, my house will be a house of prayer, and you've made it into a den of thieves. And he's doing this with a boldness and a sense of authority that people haven't really seen before. So then the leadership gets even more intensified, like, who does this young whippersnapper think he is? I mean, he's up in here, the palm leaves on one day, and then he's turning over the tables the next day. Who does this wet behind the ears youngster think he is? And so at this point, they decide that they're going to go and confront him because he's been teaching in the temple and he's been preaching the gospel. But this time, they take it upon themselves. They're going to give him a little what for here. Luke 20. One day he was teaching in the temple, teaching the people in the temple courts and preaching the gospel. The chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, he's the bigwigs now, came up to him. Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? Who do you think you are? He replied, I will ask you a question. Tell me. John's baptism, John the Baptist, John's baptism, was it from heaven, was it from God, or from men? They discussed it among themselves, and they said, if we say from heaven... He will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, all of the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, uh, we don't know where it was from. <laughs> Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Now it's really kind of a cool scenario. Jesus is a wise cat, you know what I'm saying? Notice some things here. Notice some things about the religious leaders. I say the religious establishment that was trying to come against Jesus. The first thing you notice is they assume that they have the authority to even ask him the question. Like they assume they have the authority to ask him, Who's your authority? Now they don't understand they are talking to the Lord of heaven and earth here. Like if he wanted to, he could be like, I'm the Son of God. Now bow. <laughs> Angels come down, everybody. Oh. But he did not assert himself. Even though he had the right to, he did not assert himself like that. And that's going to become important later. But let's see these people. These people think that they actually have the legitimacy to just tell another Jewish brother who gave you the authority. Because the assumption was we are the authority. And you haven't talked to us about doing this stuff. So who do you think you are? But later on they figure out they might not have as much authority as they thought they did. The second thing you can see here is they are coming from a place of suspicion and not a place of expectancy. Other people are hoping that Jesus is the Messiah. Other people are looking and and asking questions, but you can tell here that they do not believe in Jesus. You can tell that they are completely against him. They are not on his side in any way, not even as a Jewish brother. And at that time, that was very important that everybody was Jewish brothers and sisters. But even that didn't count because they they were suspicious that he would disrupt the status quo disrupt their power base. They were revealing things about themselves and their leadership style and what they believed about authority through their actions and Jesus was doing the same thing through his actions. Let's look at Jesus response. Now, Jesus could have done one or two one or two things on an earthly level. He could have basically first of all, if they asked him, "Who do you think, you know, who do you who do you think you are?" He could have been like, "Well, who do you think you are?" whitewashed white, white, sepulcher? Who do you think you are? He could have done that. Or he could have basically said, I'm God's son. He didn't do that. What he did was he asked a question. He asked a question about a scenario that they would understand to see where they were at on something. He's asked about John's baptism. Not about any other aspect of his ministry, but the, the focus on his baptism and was it of God and what it, was it was of men. Now, I look at it. At first, I was like, why would he do that? But there was a very profound reason, I think, that he did this. See, John was the one that when Jesus came, he said, there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to unloose. And he will come and he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then John was the one that baptized them when the dove came down and landed on Jesus. He was the one that did all of that. So in other words, for the religious leaders, for the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, for them to say, yes, we believe that John the Baptist was from God, they would have to implicitly say that they believed in Jesus because John talked about Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? And they kind of realize this. But Jesus takes a crooked question and he asks it legitimately. It's like, Is this about God or is this about men when it comes to John? Therefore, when it comes to me. But see, this is the thing. The chief priests and the elders, they're accusing Jesus. Who do you think you are? Checking his authority. But they didn't even have the integrity to speak what they really thought. Because in the passage, it says they they were feared of being stoned by the people because the people believed in John. Which says that they didn't believe. But they prided so much of themselves on being the authority and all that kind of stuff, and they wanted to look for good for the people, they got trapped up in their own worldly craftiness. Now get this. These are supposed to be the people that you go to at that time period. If you're separated from God or you want to talk to God, you talk to the, the chief priest, and they know the proper interpretation of the Torah, and they know how to do the, the, the sacrifices. So that's who you go to. So when a person asks you, who knows about God, you're like, go to the temple. So these are the people that are supposed to be knowledgeable about God and have God working with them and working through them. And they're in the midst of this crowd of people. And when a simple question is asked about the authority of John and everybody else believes it, they have to be like, oh, we don't know. They are supposed to be the epitome of knowledge about God. And they're up here saying they don't know. See, they didn't realize by their actions that they were were demonstrating how self-serving they really were. How indifferent to the truth they really were. And that they didn't recognize that they were demonstrating they didn't know God's authority or human authority right. But Jesus in his actions, through his wisdom and through his words, he shows that he understood both divine authority and human authority. How did he do that? First, he did it by the question that he asked. When he asked about John's baptism, was it from God or men, he's basically giving the premise, look, there's only two real authorities we're talking about here, either God or human beings. He said, I'm not going to play these games about, you know, do you have more authority of me or does this person have more authority of you? I'm not going to play that game with you. We're either talking about God or men, baby. And that's exactly what he said in this question, and that's the right way to frame it. Divine authority and human authority. But then by not doing what the leaders were doing, he was also demonstrating another principle. The use, the way that we use our human authority, the way that we use the authority that we're given, it reflects our submission to divine authority. Now, I want you to think about the way the religious leaders are acting. They're scorning and they're questioning and they're prodding and they're really just questioning your self-concept. Who do you think you are? Now, this is what Jesus said at another time to his disciples about how people of God should exercise whatever authority they have. Let's see what you think about this. Jesus called them together, meaning his disciples, and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Try to control them. Try to manipulate them using the worldly power they have. And their high officials exercise authority over them. That's what this whole thing is talking about. Not so with you. Everybody else does that. The world does that. People will try to use their authority to get their needs met, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all, not slave of some, slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus was saying, I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not doing. I'm not asking you to do anything that I wouldn't do. But when you see these people taking the little bit of authority they have and try to rub it in people's faces, you don't do that. Now, when I look at what the religious leaders were doing with them questioning Jesus' authority, I see they were doing exactly that trying to lord their supposed superiority over Jesus in his face in public. But they didn't even understand their authority. Jesus knew his authority. He knew where he was. He knew where he was coming from. So he he didn't feel the need to fall into the trap they set for him. He didn't feel the need to declare himself. He stayed humble. He stayed meek. And just by asking a simple question, he humiliated them and caught them up in their own craftiness. And then later on, after this, he goes to tear a parable about these religious leaders. Again, all of this is cool, it's good to know this information for what back in the day, but how does this affect us in our lives presently? How does Jesus' wisdom, as it was exercised then, apply to us right now? Here's the thing, if you're under the sound of my voice and you believe in Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit, it is also the case that you have a calling. You have something that you are meant to do in this world. And when God is working in and through your life, there will be some people that will come and eventually challenge you, and they will challenge your authority to do ministry and your sense of self-concept in God. It will happen. Some of these people are just going to com- have complete animosity against you. They're going to be complete enemies. But believe it or not, some of these people can be the very people you know. It's not even saying these people are bad people. It's just saying sometimes in, in their relationships with others, they are more self-centered and self-oriented than really God-oriented. And in doing that, sometimes they do wrong things. It can even happen in your small group. Hello? Let me give you an example because th- this will show you how we can all do this. Maybe you have Sister Susie QX over there. Or Sister, sister Susie Q. Susie Q, that's who she's going to be. Susie Q. And Susie Q has an issue, right? And you've been burdened by it, burdened by it. Maybe she has some sin in her life that you see or whatever. And so you take it upon yourself to go. Now, here's the thing. It could have been the case that maybe the Lord was prodding you and the servant-hearted nature of God came up on you. But it also could be the case that you were so concerned about Susie Q's sin that you felt you had to say something to make everything right. So even though you go say something to Susie Q, you're doing it out of your flesh and not necessarily out of the love of the Spirit. So what does that mean? When you go to that person and maybe say, you know, well, are you sure about this? You know, and I I see you doing this. Do you really think you're qualified to do this and all of that kind of stuff? Yeah. So all of us can fall into this. That's why we must be aware. But we have to recognize that when that kind of criticism comes to us, even though we love all people, and Jesus loved the people that he was dealing with, we need to understand these things that sometimes our brothers and sisters or sometimes people outside the church can act like a kind of a truth squad. So it's like they're judging different Christian experiences like, well, who qualified you to do that? And who, who ordained you to do that? And who said that you were capable of working this work or doing this ministry? And again, some of those voices may be well-meaning, but in the way that they kind of intuit who do you think you are to try to do this, they show that they might be overly concerned with others rather than themselves. And that's the important key because we're supposed to be more concerned about our own sins than other people's sin and think they're right. Let's go to scripture. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, You will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Here's the part. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank like a beam, like a plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your eye you can't see? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clear to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And see, what can happen, my brothers and sisters, is sometimes people can be so wrapped up in their own self-orientation and what they're doing that instead of saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, before I even try to go talk to my sister, the first thing they want to do to fix their problem is talk to you. And sometimes they will will ask questions that lead to self-doubt. It's like, well, you know, you've only been clean a year. Well, you know, you just got out of that sin. Well, you know, you might not be fit for that. And before you know it, you start questioning yourself. Like, who do I think I am? Who do, who, I do, who do I think I can do something for God? I'm nobody. There's a difference, though. There's a difference between, again, loving community. Because we are meant to be in a loving community. So I am not knocking accountability. And we're going to talk about that later. There is Christian accountability at the same time. There is a difference between having this tough love type of loving community and having your authority and your person questioned by an unloving person. Those are two different things. Let me tell you a little story. When I first got here around 2003, um, it was a real turbulent time for me because I was going through processes of a divorce. I had a wife and I have two sons. Um, at that time, it was very difficult because I was praying and I was talking to different people. And so I fed, felt led to come up here. And so the calling was still there, even while though we were going through the divorce proceedings. And so I had to make a choice whether or not to try to go to Houston to be with my sons or come up here. And I prayed and I prayed and I agonized. And I really felt like this was what I was to do. And let me tell you something, I was fairly miserable. (laughs) And there was all of these lingering self-doubts. I mean, when I got here, and I mean, everybody was warm to me and friendly, but I thought about Greg, and I'm like, this guy's going to Yale and to Princeton. I thought about Paul, Eddie, and I thought about all of these wonderful staff people. I'm like, who do I think I am? I don't have anything to really contribute here. What am I even doing? And so then my mind starts, you know, doubting itself. And then, you know, and I, I, I love this sister. There was, there was an occasion where a sister was just vocalizing and she felt like, you're an opportunist. You're really just trying to come here to get away from the responsibility of your son. So that's why you're here. And that was very hurtful. That was very hurtful. And I remember with that and other things, I got to the point where I really just wanted to just be done with ministry. I'm like, you know what? I just, maybe I just need to see my sons, and I'm just going to forget that this God thing ever happened. Bad dream or something. I wanted to give it up. And I went to church. I went to a church in North Minneapolis. God was a good preacher. And so um, I went up to him afterwards to talk to him. And he kind of you know, knew about me, knew about the situation a little bit he said, you know, I got a word for you. I don't do this, but I got a word for you. I'm like, you know, speak on. He said, you know, I know that there's a lot of things that you're hearing right now, a lot of things that are being said. He said, but I want to let you know something. Greg Boyd did not bring you here. A job did not bring you here. God himself brought you here. He's called you here. And he has given you the authority to be here. Let me tell you something, y'all. On some real stuff, I cried. I broke out crying. I couldn't stop crying. I left the church, couldn't stop crying. I got in the car, couldn't stop crying. I had to pull the car over because I was crying. But this is what I felt. I'm like, if the Lord brought me here, then he meant for me to be here. I know what my voice is saying and I know what other people are saying, but if he brought me here and he told this person to tell me, then he meant for me to be here. So I stayed. And before you know it, I was volunteering here first, then I got on staff, and then I was able to be blessed to be in the youth department and work in sixth grade night and different things like that. Then I turned and went to the community department. I was actually able to do one of the things that I am most proud of in my life, and that is doing a baptism for this church. Spearheading that, working with that, and then preaching here. To all my brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. The, the, the blessings that have happened in my life would not happen if God hadn't back then shown me his authority over everyone else's authority. Yeah. And it's not just me. It's not just preachers. Each one of us, every one of us in here has a calling from God. And no one can call or authorize that call but God. Yes, we have brothers and sisters, and yes, we check in on them, uh, check in with them from now to time. But each one of us is an individual servant of God, and we don't need to be wasting our time trying to second guess our own callings or judging other people's callings. We need to understand that God is our supreme authority, whether we feel like we have to say that to people or not. See, we've got to remember we are God's children. See, let me tell you what God says we are. He says that we are holy. We are righteous. We are blameless in him. We have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We are his beloved bride. These are the things that we are. And because we know who we are, we don't have to react to people saying, who do you think you are? We have the authority by Christ himself who lives within us by his spirit to live our lives the unique way that God has called us to do it. Again, this is not dismissing Christian community to go it alone. Just the opposite. We surrender to God's authority and therefore we can meet it wherever we are. Then we can truly accept accountability and repel the spiritual muscling. So accountability before God and your fellow brothers and sisters is important. So how do we know, how do we get the information about when to opt out whenever these things are happening? Like, how can we tell whenever either a brother, sister, or somebody else might be coming with the who do you think you are attitude and how should we respond? Well, here's some questions that I've been using for myself. And again, I try to ask this question, am I doing this or is this being done to me? Because it can happen both ways. But this is how we, I know when to opt out when somebody's trying to tell me who they think I am. Okay. First of all, is there servant-hearted love grounding the question? And this is just biblical. It doesn't matter if I have wisdom or speak the tongues of men and angels or all that stuff like that, if I do not have love, it is what? It is nothing that is 1st Corinthians 13. So if I am going to try to ask a question, if I'm going to try to confront a brother or sister on what they're doing, if I'm not going there and serving hearted love, I'm by definition doing nothing but something that's harmful. And if somebody comes to you, you have the right to ask the questions, like, you know, well, brother, you know, is this or sister, is this in the heart of, you know, serving hearted love? I mean, I want to hear you. Where is this coming from? Because a lot of times people fix other people to try to fix their own lives because they'll feel better when Sister Susie Q's fixed and when Brother Tom is fixed. Seriously. So the first thing is, is there servant-hearted love grounded the question? Second thing, is there a sense of lording moral authority over someone? See, in my experience, there's usually a statement that follows the who do you think you are? And that statement is, you should be ashamed of yourself. Who do you think you are thinking you can do this? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Now, the only only way somebody can say that is if they somehow feel that they're above the shame level. Who do you think you are? I have the moral authority to check on you and, and tell you that you're doing wrong before I pray about my own sins. It can happen. So when a person comes to you and there's a call on your life, And they come to you, and they're lording that moral authority over you. You might want to think about that. The third thing, is there a genuine search for truth of the situation? Taking this back to the situation with Jesus and the people, you can tell that they really didn't even care about the truth. They didn't care about the truth of whether Jesus was from God or man, just like they didn't care whether John was from God or man. All they wanted to do was secure their own power and maintain the status quo and put him in his place. That's all they really cared about. And when you're dealing with people like that, the only thing that you can end up having is conflict. They were trying to put Jesus in his place. Do you actually think that they were trying to just say, yeah, Jesus, we, we value you? No. You are an upstart. You come into Jerusalem thinking you can just wreck everything that we've established here to build. You should be ashamed of yourself. They tried to check him. Is there a genuine search for truth of the situation? So, three things. Is there servant-hearted love, granted the question? Is there a sense of lording moral authority over someone? Is there a genuine search for truth in the situation? And the last but not least, does this person have the authority of communal relationship with you through Christ? Let me tell you something. I know that I'm a sinful person. <laughs> and if a person has to come to me to confront me on my sin, it, I feel better about the person that says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Show me where my eyesight is dim so I can go talk to my brother. If, when a, if I know a person is doing that when they're coming to me, I'm going to probably have a better response than some Joe Blow that just came off the street that just said, hey, I felt like I wanted to tell you something. I got a word for you. Are we linked on that Christ level yet? Do we realize that all have fallen short of the glory of God? Do we have that realization before we're meeting? Then we're on the same level. We both need grace. We both need his mercy. So now the conversation can proceed. That's not what the religious leaders thought with Jesus. They did not even try to share the common bond of their Jewish heritage. Who do you think you are? These four questions, I believe, if we ask these questions for ourselves, how we're relating to other people, how people are relating to us, we will have the space to move forward in that that which God has called us to. Because let me tell you something. Sometimes God might give you a weird call. And the only person that can sustain you in that call is God. And you have to be grounded on that by knowing who you are. And when you do that, then you're able to lovingly yet firmly opt out of people's manipulative games. When you see people's egos acting out, you can kind of just move away from that. Let me just give you a specific example. Let's say that somebody comes to you and they want to address a sin with you or address a sin or an issue or something. Now what if this were to be the conversation? If you were to be like, well, you know, brother, I hear what you're saying. I just want to ask a question, if I may, if I could ask a question. I feel like you're coming to me, asking me these questions. Is this coming from a servant-hearted love like that you've been praying on this and thinking about this? Is, Is this something that God has really put on your heart? Or is this more of a personal issue between you and I that maybe this brings up? Are you sure that it's one or the other? And if they were like, wow, I really never thought about that. I don't know. Then you can say, you know what? How about you pray on that and think about it, and then you come back and talk to me. Do you see how that's firm? You're standing your ground. You know who you are at the same time. You are lovingly saying, you know what? I'm not going to play into these games. When you know where your heart is to tell me this, then we can talk. Otherwise, we're not going to get anywhere. But do you see how the wisdom of Jesus works? It catches up people in their own thoughts to let them deal with their own thoughts. I want to share something with you, and maybe this will cement the message for you, because you have the authority in Jesus Christ, because you've got to remember who you are. When I was in school, Sunday school, I'm going to take it back to Greater Mount Olive Baptist Church, Wakingville, Texas, when I was on the usher board and everything. <laughs> but um, we used to sing a song in Sunday school and Bible, vacation Bible school, and it goes like this. If you know it, sing along. If anybody asks you who I am. Who I am, who I am, if anybody asks you who I am, just tell them I'm a child of God. One more time, come on, y'all. If anybody asks you who I am, who I am, that's right. Who I am, if anybody asks you who I am, you just tell them I'm a child of God. Good. Good. Now, this is the thing. I remember singing that song so much, but right now, this song has more meaning to me now than it ever did. Because when my voice comes talking to me, who do I think I am? When other people are like, who do you think you are? Even if I don't say it out loud, that, voice, that, that, that song comes up. If anybody asks me who I am, even if it's my own self, I'm going to tell myself I'm a child of God. I'm going to tell myself that God has authorized me to do the things that I do. I'm going to say that God has authorized me to be a part of this body. And so even when my own self-hatred, because sometimes we have self-hatred people, is programmed into us by this world. And that's why it says, you know what, when your hearts condemn you, who? Somebody is greater than your hearts. It is the Lord God. If you're under the sound of my voice, know who you are. You are a child of the living God. You have the authority of the Holy One in you. And don't let nobody take your call away from you. God gave it to you and he authorized you. Yes, you are within Christian community and accountability. But use those questions. Use those questions so that you can discern and sift. Not to hate, not to not love, but to just know. Know who you are. Live and walk in your authority. You're a child of God. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for allowing me to speak, Lord. I thank you for allowing me to speak from the heart, from the good. And I just pray that you would just change us all, Lord. We want to, we know who we are, but sometimes we just start to question ourselves because people question us. We question ourselves. So we pray that you would just foot in our minds right now that we are your children by your spirit and nothing can change that. You give your gifts and you give them without repentance. That goes to the callings as well. Let people find where you have the place for them, Lord. And let us walk in unity and love and change this whole world for you by walking in your authority. And we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said. Amen. We can have the prayer team come forward. If you have any prayer needs whatsoever, if, if maybe you're wrestling with this question, please pray about it. That's all I have. Go in peace, serve the Lord, and live in your authority in him.